What is the goal of dieting? To lose weight or something more? Are calories in and calories out the right way to assess your eating? Is it really possible to be addicted to some foods? My guest and I discuss these questions and more about sound eating, but also about sound mindset. A good diet is more than just food. The Eating Liberty Podcast, episode 222, Food and Freedom, once a week for life. Hello folks, Dan Reed here. Welcome to the show. The new year is right around the corner, so to speak. Ring in 2023 with the sweet taste of fresh Maine lobster shipped right to your door. Sorry, this is for U.S. residents only. Use my affiliate link to shop for your New Year's Eve feast. Surf over to culinarylibertarian.com slash lobsterlover. Jess Reed is my guest today. Jess is a certified life coach with the International Coaching Federation and the host of the Self-Care Keto Podcast. And she's the founder of her own coaching practice, The Keto Fit. She's passionate about helping women lose weight with the keto diet and helping them cultivate a self-care mindset, providing the concrete scientific strategies to lose weight and how to shift the mindset to heal their relationship with food, weight, and body image. Hello, Jess. Thank you for joining me today on Eating Liberty Podcast. Hey, Dan. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here because we're going to talk. I've um, kind of made a bit of a theme of keto stuff on the show because... Well, we're going to talk a little bit about what all that means, but and so the listeners know a little bit that I I've made a few choices of my own, and I used to be, I probably still do love sugar tremendously. It doesn't love me back yeah. very much <laughs> in lots of ways, and one of those ways is with um, with acid indigestion, mm. just really uncomfortable. So I cut out sugar, and that was the first change, like immediately. Wow, huh. This is interesting. Yeah. What did doctors miss this for 30 years? Right. So along with getting rid of sugar, I got rid of some pounds, mm-hmm. which I get rid of some fat, which is a very – when I hear people saying lose weight, they well, lose what? Let's lose fat. Yeah. But that's – so it's one of those weird things where in any kind of thing, you start to learn something. You say, oh, this is interesting. And then you realize, holy moly. The level of stuff that I don't know is immense. Yes. So what I've discovered I don't know in keto is massive. So um, before we get into all that, let's start with a short bio about you and then a little bit of just a little bit of your keto journey and then we'll get into this. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Jess Reed and I am a certified life coach with the International Coaching Federation. I work for myself as a weight loss coach for women. Uh, so I like to call myself a self-care keto coach. Because for me, it goes beyond just weight loss. Um, what is the point of weight loss, actually, is 
taking great care of yourself, self-care. Um, and really what tends to happen sometimes, I feel, is that food really gets conflated <laughs> with a lot of other things, right? Um, and it becomes a way that it is kind of playing a cheap substitute for meeting other needs in our lives that we've allowed to go unmet. So for me, self-care is about meeting your own needs and healing your relationship with food and weight and body image and kind of the disordered relationship with food, I think is a huge part of actually taking great care of yourself. I think I agree completely with that. And that's one of the one of the really important aspects of managing health and wellness. The people who go to keto go to keto for a variety of reasons. And there's probably as many reasons those people make those choices as there are people who make the choice. It's not, I don't, there may be overlapping reasons. I want to lose fat. I want to lose fat. Okay, that's good. But there's other things going on there. And those other factors become really important in why we make the decisions we make for whatever it is the goal outcome is. And that's where the uniqueness comes from each of us. Even if we're all on the same, I want to, <laughs> I want to eat healthy. Well, it doesn't mean anything. Um, so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I just mentioned that one size doesn't fit all. And you've talked about being a life coach. I think mostly your niche is women, but I won't tell you, we guys, yeah, I work with these issues, man. This is, there's some, Oh, absolutely. I can't know how unique it is for a woman to do that, but I can tell you that the, for myself, the issue of mm -hmm. sugar and it's Christmas time and oh my gosh, it's cookie time. And there's, mm -hmm. there's interesting things, both physical and physiological that happen when I eat sugar. Now I can't speak for anybody else, but there's, there's, boy, it's a, it's a fickle little thing. So let's get into it could it's a, it's a career to talk about sugar, but and and there are some folks who make a distinction that all sugar, the sugar from a whole food apple, whole food, not the store, the thing, not applesauce. You're gonna go to the store, you're gonna eat apple off the tree. Um, yeah. Yes, the apple has sugar, mm -hmm. but the apple also has some other things that our body wants and needs. There's probably some micronutrients in there, there's certainly fiber in there, there's deliciousness in there, and there's, there's, I'm going to get kind of weird here, spiritual satiation from eating a really ripe, delicious apple. I mean, I contribute mm. a thing to health and wellness, but mm. the wellness of how we feel makes, is very valuable in, in yeah. getting to a, a place of health. Yeah. So, Let's focus on the white stuff in the bag, added sugar, and what are some real big problems with added sugar? Hmm. Well, first, before we just talk about it from like this meta view of like the science of it, yes. I'd love to just share with you like why it matters to me and how it has impacted my own life, my relationship with sugar, and why it even led me to go on to do this work of sharing it with other women. Um, I never thought that I would be a weight loss coach or a life coach or any of those things. And I actually started my health journey um, 
back in 2013, I actually approached it from, I just want to lose weight. Um, I just wanted a quick fix. Um, it was three weeks before Thanksgiving and I wanted to try to lose 10 pounds before I had to see all of my family members and feel the pressure of having my body inspected or judged or whatever it may be. Um, and so I was always dieting. I was always trying to find the quick thing that would help me feel more worthy and more acceptable inside of my own skin. And that has a long history of my upbringing, the conditioning, the societal conditioning, my disordered relationship with food, so much to it, right? But you mentioned different people approach keto for different reasons. My initial reason was I just wanted to lose weight. And I had seen my mom and aunts do the Atkins diet um, when you know I was growing up and I viewed it as unhealthy, yet a quick way to lose weight. So actually went into it with that cognitive dissonance of, I think anyway. this is unhealthy and I don't care. Um, if it, right. If it will get me the immediate outcome that I'm looking for, which is to drop 10 pounds in two weeks. Right. So that's what I went into it with was a very disordered mindset. And very quickly, not only did I lose 10 pounds in those first two weeks, but what I did not expect to feel was some of what you've referenced of um, the satiety that comes along with it and the freedom that I felt, which I didn't realize was sugar addiction. Because my whole life, I thought that I overate because I had a lack of willpower and because um, I was emotionally eating. And you know, I viewed it from a very emotional standpoint or from a very, my body is broken standpoint, that it was, that it was my fault, that it was my own weakness, rather than viewing it as an actual substance that there could be right. some type of a physiological addiction to. I, I never had really thought of it in that way before. And it wasn't until I kind of um, had the withdrawals from, from that experience uh, and went through that and got that out of my system and then felt, oh my gosh, this is what it feels like to feel free from um, that compulsion every single day. It cleared up so much mental space for me it gave me what I would call food freedom. And then it allowed me to actually create the space of no longer being in such dire pain every day of feeling the pain of failure and regret and self-sabotage and all of those things that it allowed me to go deeper and heal some of the actual relationship and, and mm -hmm. valid emotional eating that I, that I was doing. Right. But it, in, at that time it was all overlapping. It was all conflated together. So I went into it to lose weight but I stayed because of the freedom that it gave me. Um, I finally felt like I wasn't serving food anymore, that food was serving me. And I, um, that was just absolutely life-changing for me. And there's so many other magical things about keto and how it impacts the brain and so on and so forth. But you ask about sugar and I just thought that I would at first answer it from why does it matter? And it's because truly just like any other addiction in our lives, it, a lot of people are in a lot of pain every single day, feeling like they're powerless um, in their in their eating habits. And sugar has a lot to do with it. And you differentiate between natural sugar and you know the stuff that is you know found in all of the um, packaged products that we find ourselves eating, right? And that's completely true. Um, those packaged products are literally chemically designed in a lab to light your brain on fire and make you want to eat more and make you want to buy more and so on and so forth, literally to keep you addicted and to make 
make money <laughs> for other people. Um, not that I'm trying to just be, you know, negative or act like it's all a big conspiracy or whatever. It's more to empower ourselves so that we don't feel like it's our fault. Uh, that's a, there's a lot there and, and you, you brought something up. I've been trying to figure out how to, how to verify the design in a lab on purpose to get you to eat more, as opposed to knowing that so this is a very fine line. I think it's a very fine line. Knowing that most people's mm. response and reaction to sugar products is to eat more of the sugar products because, and it's, and it isn't a lack of, it's not a failure and it's not a character flaw. It's, it is, it's, if, mm-hmm. if, I'm, I'm making jokes to myself. Uh, my name is Dan. I'm a sugar addict. Hi, Dan. But it's, it, it's that bad. It's, mm-hmm. It's it is an addiction, and yeah. and it is and I, it's in every freaking packet. It's not in every. It's colloquial. It's in every dang thing you buy. Um, so yes, there there is, and and that's that's a real big problem, and we have a big and and maybe this is where the focus on the women part comes in, and this is maybe what guys don't necessarily get is, although I think. When, when my clothes didn't fit well and I was in size pants, so I really don't want to be in the size pants, I didn't feel particularly good or proud of myself. I didn't really necessarily want to see myself. I was like, oh, good grief. So I, th- I think that that's not exclusive yeah. to women. I think there might be, and this isn't to show for that, but there might be right. an inordinate amount of pressure placed on women to conform to an image more than there is for guys. I, but mm-hmm. let's, so one of the things I, I, the reason I started with the sugar is in, in keto world and keto mm-hmm. baking, particularly, there are ways mm-hmm. to, there are ingredients to use as substitutes for, for table sugar. Mm-hmm. Now, I keep forgetting if it's glucose or sucrose or whatever. That's probably sucrose. And I should know this as the cook guy. But um, mm-hmm. what I think is interesting to me sometimes is even with a, we'll say keto safe, a low, change this to even more accurate, a low-carb sugar replacement, and carbs is one of the things we're trying to get rid of in sugar, but mm-hmm. as it happens, there's a few other things that get excluded with it, um, addiction. There is a curious mm. physiological response that it. my body says, oh, hey, we know what that is. That's sugar. And part of my body says, no, it's not sugar. But the other part says, yeah, yeah, let's have more of that. And that's interesting. I don't. Yeah know if that's ever going to go away but what mm-hmm. so and and that may not be something we can actually research i just think it's an interesting observation that because my body thinks that sugar i want to eat more of it but i've put some effort into losing some fat and gaining some muscle so i'm like wait a minute i've worked mm-hmm. i've put some effort into that i'm not going to do that so first of all how many off the top of your head, low carb keto substitutes can you think of? <laughs> oh my goodness! I mean, a- at least probably a dozen. Um, it's interesting what you're bringing up here about how 
your brain still sometimes responds with the gimme, gimme, gimme's um, to even the sugar substitutes, right? So it's not actually sugar. Um, what I have found in my experience and also um, in just the research that I've done on this over the last 10 years is it's not actually just sugar that is lighting your brain on fire. It is the combination. And remember, we actually have food scientists creating these, these um, packaged foods in a lab designed to, I call it light your brain on fire, but they, it's actually called the bliss point. And the bliss point is not just sugar. It's a combination of fat, salt, and sugar. And so if you think about all of the delicious packaged foods or even a donut or even something that you would bake at home, that's a delicious dessert, it's high fat, it's high sugar, and there's some salt there as well. And so this flavor combination is what lights up all of the reward centers in your brain to that bliss point. And your brain naturally says, gimme, gimme, gimme. And in the keto world, we recreate this with a sugar substitute, but it's still that combination of high fat, which a lot of times the flours that we use for replacements, they're like nut flours or coconut flour. So there's a lot of fat being used in the flour replacements. And then the sweet taste. So it's still high fat, salt, and that sweet taste together. And that still is lighting your brain on fire. I don't know about you, but it didn't take me very quick to realize that I had a hard time moderating keto treats or keto baking. Like, and and then you, still somewhat you, you're blaming yourself. You're like, oh God, I still have, I'm still so screwed up right. that I have a disordered relationship with keto food. No, it's actually, it's still something physiologically happening in your brain. It's, you will not find it in nature. Humans have created this. You will not find anywhere in nature, that combination of sweet, high fat, right. and salt all together in like a whole food. Well, there's a, I'm going to ask yeah. first because someone's going to ask the question, or maybe even just as listening in the car. And this is it's impossible to answer, but let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. What is, or scare quotes, the best sugar replacement? Oh, I, that's so debatable. That's so debatable. And I think it, it really depends on who you are and um, what works best for you. I don't think that really we can say objectively that there is any best thing for anybody. I think the whole journey of self-care is experimenting and optimizing as you go with a passionate pursuit of, I wonder how good can I feel? And, you know, that's what it has been for me. And so I think trying different things and if you have found something that works best for you, I can tell you what works best for me, but I know somebody <laughs> is going to be, you know, criticizing it, right? Um, for me, it is um, liquid sucralose. So sucralose is um, the active sweetener in Splenda. And it measures just like table sugar. It tastes just like table sugar. Um, but in a Splenda packet, um, it would have sucralose, which is just the sweetener. And then it also has um, maltodextrin, which is like this granulated carrier agent that is meant to mimic the texture of table sugar. Maltodextrin spikes your blood sugar more than table sugar itself. And <laughs> it kind of defeats the point. So that's why every packet of Splenda or um, any other sweetener packet has one carb per packet. So the carb is coming from the maltodextrin. So when I finally realized that, I, I always preferred the taste of Splenda over any other sweetener 
Um, and so I switched to liquid sucralose. Now I've tried every, all of them. You know, I've tried stevia. I don't like the aftertaste. I've tried, um, you know, some of the natural ones like erythritol. I don't like the cooling sensation. Um, allulose or xylitol. Um, there's a lot of other um, sugar alcohols. I don't like the digestive discomfort that I get. Um, but some people don't get the digestive discomfort. Some people don't get the cooling sensation. I think there's, you know, it's trial and error. It's finding what works best for you. Well, that's the right answer. It wasn't really a trick question. It was to illustrate that there there yeah. isn't a one-size-fits-all for anybody. Um, you have a YouTube video going into pretty detailed explanations of some of the different sugars, but there's... I'm gonna. I've, there's there's one you called out in particular, and I suddenly I've completely forgotten <laughs> the name of the one, but it's yeah. really bad for that that well, I guess irritation, inflammation. And oh, mal maltitol. Maltitol is the one that I'm just like, oh god, please don't eat that. That's um basically if you walk into like any pharmacy and you go to the candy section and you see the sugar-free candy, like sugar-free Twizzlers, sugar-free Russell Stover's or whatever, look at the back of the package and you're going to see maltitol as the ingredient. And essentially it is a sugar alcohol, but oh, it will just wreck your digestive tract. Like it, it even says, don't consume in large amounts because this has a laxative effect. You know, a thousand years ago, which yeah. is not true, back in the late 70s and early 80s, there was like in a GNC, before GNC became just supplements, they actually had food at GNC. And you could find, in some other places too, um, it was called diabetic chocolate. It wasn't particularly mm -hmm. good. And I suppose it was at least a nod to the diabetics to do something. And so maybe innovation, it was the best they could do at the time. But I didn't ever care for it. And the diabetics I knew didn't care for it. Um, was that was Maltitol the thing there or was it something different? Okay. Uh, I can't answer conclusively, but I have, I would, I would um, venture to bet that it probably was. Yeah. Um, all right. You've talked about it a couple of times. And so this is something I still don't fully understand. What are sugar alcohols and what does that mean to our eating? So it's just a natural compound found in plants. If you break it down, kind of like how the stevia plant has a natural sweetness to it. Um, you can derive it from corn. Um, you can derive it from other plants, but it basically removes the, the compound that has sweetness and then it multiplies it by like a million. <laughs> and so it's extracting some, it, it is naturally occurring in a plant. Um, yeah, I so, mean, I, I, the same way that you would use stevia. I mean, it, it's from a plant, um, but in order to, you would you would have to grow a stevia plant, you would have to grind it into a fine powder, and it's like a million times sweeter than sugar. So, yeah. So the sugar alcohol part is the active sweet tasting component of mm -hmm. whatever the thing is in. And so it's yes. plainly a highly processed food. Actually, it is. Yeah, it is very highly processed. And a lot of people get into the debate over, you know, using something like erythritol, which is a sugar alcohol versus, you know, criticizing sucralose, which is, you know, made in a lab. Right. It, that's the the one that I use that is, you know, commonly found in in Splenda. And I tell people, I mean, it's not 
unless you're literally growing the stevia plant in your house and grinding it up yourself, like it's, it's highly processed. Everything we're putting in is highly processed. When it comes to choosing a sugar substitute, I feel like honestly, it's just choosing the lesser of all evils, whichever is for you. Um, ideally, I, I've actually moved more into trying to bake with naturally occurring sugars, like using a very ripe banana or maybe using small amounts of honey or maple syrup. And a lot of the keto police will say that's not keto, um, but keto is not a yes or no foods list. It's a metabolic state. And so everybody has a different carbohydrate threshold and everybody has a different level of insulin resistance or how much something affects your blood sugar. And the best way to know if something is working for you or not is to use the biofeedback tools that are available, right. like taking taking your actual blood sugar, measuring the ketones in your body. Um so I eat honey sometimes, I eat maple syrup sometimes, things like that, um, because it. I, I do believe that the best thing that you can do is use something that is unprocessed and found in nature. Right. And so the I, th I think the, the critical point to make and reinforce is the best sugar substitute for any individual is the one that causes zero to the least inflammation and has zero to the least undesirable side effects. I Whatever agree. one that is, that's mm -hmm. the one to use. And it might not be what your neighbor uses. Um, and that's, I think that's a valuable point is that um, there are, there's a lot of choices and if, um, it, it can get overwhelming and it can get kind of spendy to try some of them, find your local cheap discount grocery store and try them from there. They're mm -hmm. still kind of expensive, but at least not quite as bad. Um, what is, the, is, is water, distilled water, the agent in the um, liquid Splenda? Stevia? Ooh, I don't know, actually. By the way, they do make liquid Stevia, um, but I use liquid sucralose. Sucralose. Um, I, I knew it was yeah. an S. I think there's too many. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I actually don't know. That's a good, good question. I, I haven't ventured too deeply into it because I'm like, well, this is what I'm using. <laughs> this is the one that works for me. Right. I could obsess over it. And to be honest, you know, I don't use a lot of it. I mainly, this is what I put in my coffee. Cause I, I still like my iced coffee sweet, you know, and I can drink it not sweet yet. We all need some pleasure in our lives. Right. And so, um, if I'm baking, sure, I can mash up a banana, but I can't mash up a banana. Well, I suppose I could blend the coffee and mash up a banana, but I don't want to do that. So, you know, like I'm that talking, I probably weird. use, probably use a, you know, 10 drops or less of this per day, you know. It also sounds like far too much work for a cup of coffee. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then if you, if you're a flavored coffee, it just gets weird. Um, the... Thing keto folks get into, and and there is it's, keto might be a big umbrella for lots of other kinds of niches where like the carnivore folks mm -hmm. and and I, I think the carnivore folks are their own group, and there's a few there's at least one guy who probably could be called a guru or an influencer in the. Mm -hmm. Um, carnivore space who is very big on no sugar, no grain. Mm -hmm. So pretty much if it, if it grew in the ground, don't eat it. It's like, well, mm -hmm. okay. He's making a decent living with that, but 
I'm, I'm, I'm listening to other folks getting into some of the meta-analysis and getting into, you know, fiber actually does do beneficial things to the body and, and some of the emotional satisfaction we get from eating an apple or, mm-hmm. or you know, whatever the thing is, eating a banana, although people are, don't eat bananas. Well, mm-hmm. if the rules become so restrictive that it isn't fun anymore, then it's literally just another diet and now it's, now it's actual work. <laughs> the whole point for me was I don't, want, I don't want to have the actual labor of saying I can't. Uh, I'm, prefer- yeah. I'm saying I won't. Yeah. Which gives me a lot of space because maybe one day I will. But I, I so the the two main things are getting into you, you we, we talked a bit about uh, keto baking, so high fat, high sweet, not necessarily sugar, um, maybe high protein and a little bit of high salt. So one of the things that happens with everybody is we blame the wrong macro for a problem. Mm-hmm. And well, let's start with that because I think that that's important, especially when we're getting into talking about eating a high-fat, high-protein, low-carb. Let's we're going to be particular about the carbs, so we're going to say yes to cauliflower and no to the donut. Mm. What when you, when you were doing this, you said, "I know this is wrong. I'm doing it anyway." What were yeah. some of the things you sort of figured out along the journey that? We'll say we'll say the word of the year: misinformed, misinformation about fats and proteins as far as just regular eating goes, and that you discovered as you're doing this. You know, I was blaming the wrong thing for the wrong problem. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, of course, you know, I grew up in the whole low-fat craze of the '70s and '80s, and so I was an overweight child, and so I was put on a diet by my mom, probably at the age of seven, maybe younger. Um, and that was to eat low fat. And so my mom would buy Snackwell's cookies, um, you know, the Nutri-Green bars, anything fat free, um, you know, pretzels instead of potato chips and thinking that this was, you know, helping me. Um, Half the fat, it, three times the sugar, have some. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Because there's only two ways to make something taste good. And that's with fat or sugar. Um, and, and of course salt, but you know, you got to pair it with one or the other in order for something to, to be desirable. And so when we start removing the fat from, um, really anything, the way to make it taste better is to increase the sugar. So for example, you know, salad dressings, like, oh, it's a, if it's a fat-free salad dressing, usually it's loaded with sugar, right? Because you got to make it taste good in some way. Anyway, that's what I was brought up on in. And so, um, even when my, when my mom, I, I would see her and my aunts do Atkins, they had never read the full book or anything. Like they never really understood the science of it. They looked at it as, um, you know, a quick, a quick fix, the diet mentality, right. Of, yeah. you know, I'm either on or off, I'm either being perfect or I'm completely off the rails. Um, and it's to what end, you know, it's, it's to lose five pounds. And then I go back to my normal way of eating. Right. Um, so it was always a temporary, restriction or a temporary punishment for having overdone it. <laughs> and now you have to suffer for a little bit of time to make amends for getting out of control is essentially, you know, that whole diet mentality. Um, right. So all that to say, though, whether it was Atkins or whether it was low fat, counting calories, whatever it was, um, there was never actually any correct information about any of it. <laughs> 
in my mind. Um, I was never taught any good science of, of really anything about healthy eating. For me, and particularly growing up as an overweight child and growing up as, you know, I identify as a woman, it was about um, manipulating your body to try to achieve a desired outcome, which is to look a certain way. And that's everything that I was taught about calories in, calories out was for the purpose of dieting. It wasn't for the purpose of good health. I was never taught about a macronutrient at all until I was in college and I sat in a health class for the first time and learned about proteins, fats, and carbs. Um, so to tell you what did I learn was misinformation. Probably the biggest thing was that, um, you know, butter and bacon weren't the enemy. Um, I thought that they were. I thought that, you know, I believed the myth that Dr. Atkins died of a heart attack because of how he ate. He didn't. That, that wasn't true. Um, but basically, at that point in time, I didn't even care. And that's how sad the whole thing is. Like, I didn't even care that butter and bacon were going to be my main foods <laughs> if they were if they were going to kill me because I wanted to look a certain way. Like, I, I'm telling you, I wasn't in it for health. I was in it for the aesthetics. Um, and I think that the mental health of that is probably <laughs> the bigger issue than the misinformation about, you know, macronutrients. But I hear you on your question. Um, and to give you the, the simplest answer possible, it was probably the demonization of fats that I found to be the biggest um, mental shift for me. It was very, very hard for me to not care about how many calories something was or not care about how much fat was in something and instead to focus on um, having boundaries surrounding carbohydrates instead. Right. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, the other point, and this happens, so you talked about you sometimes like maple syrup, which mm -hmm. I really like maple syrup. Uh, and I'm a big fan of, less so now, but I do like good honeys. And there are lots of really good honeys. So one of the things that I think is an important point to make is as anyone's going on into and staying on a keto-ish diet, one of the things that happens is your body starts to change its fuel preferences because mm -hmm. it doesn't have much of a choice. Mm -hmm. If you don't give it a whole lot of glucose to work with, it's going to learn to use the fat stores that are there. Mm -hmm. So when you get to that point, and I don't know how long it takes for any one person, adding back maybe maple syrup on your keto French toast on Sunday brunch, that's not, you're not going to, you're not going to any Murphy back into, you know, fatso. It's not going to happen. Your body can handle a little bit of yummy maple syrup, honey, heck, even poison sugar. Mm. Um, so especially good on uh, molasses cookies, you roll them in sugar and bake them. <laughs> it's really mm -hmm. good. Um, so there's, it's it gets to that mindset again of verboten, and and I want I want to get out of that. I don't I don't do that here. Right, I restrict those high glucose carbs mm -hmm. a lot. But in the process of doing that, when I don't want to do that, then it's okay. And I can actually, you know, um, we had a my, my wife had a work Christmas party here, and it was a little bit of a potluck, and somebody. Somebody brought store cookies. Well, okay, that's fine. You brought something. I tried one and I spit it out. Yeah. 
It's not because the store cookie was bad. It probably wasn't great because it's a store cookie. It's probably, you know, canola oil. Who knows? Um, but when I discovered, like, you know, previously these would have been, I would have eaten the whole package. Mm-hmm. But all I got was sweet and no flavor. Like yeah. these things are insipid. This, uh, oh my, I, my head hurt. It was so sweet. <laughs> I couldn't say that because spit this thing out. And I say, like, you know, that never happened before. Before mm-hmm. it would have been, you know, in a, just, it, it's, it's kind of gross when I think back mm-hmm. on how much sugar I would easily have eaten and the vast quantities in one sitting. Like as, as a baker, we make some really fine things. So you can imagine mm-hmm. maybe a, uh, like a rich, fudgy uh, chocolate tart, tort. Mm-hmm. Well, a quarter of that is one sitting. Mm-hmm. It's like nine billion calories. It's like all sugar. It's like just think nothing of it. Let's get a cup mm-hmm. of coffee and a glass of cold milk. We're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Now I, I, I'm. It's it's just it's kind of offensive to me to think about that. Wow. So when I eat sugar in normal things, I I can't. It's hard. Yeah, hard to do. It, and and it's hard for anyone who hasn't experienced it to imagine just what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. It is quite magical how much your body adapts to you changing, right? Your your body is adaptable. Your taste buds will change. Your brain will change. Um, your metabolism will change. Your body will heal. Um, and yes, at, at a certain point, whatever it is that if your favorite food is Oreos or your favorite food is, you know, the featured, you know, seasonal donut over at Dunkin' Donuts or whatever it might be, there will come a point if you uh, limit sugar and let's say you go two, three weeks, six months even without eating sugar. And then you put that same thing in your mouth and it will have lost all of its allure. And, and it, you know, you understand what it feels like. I understand what it feels like. It's it literally, you can't convince somebody unless they actually experience it for themselves. But I do offer it as a point of hope. Um, there's a lot of people that say, I could never live without bread. I could never live without whatever that item is. And it's like, just, can you, can you do three weeks, you know, and then reintroduce it and see how you feel? Um, because it really does lose a lot of its appeal and something has physiologically changed inside of you as well. And psychologically. Now I realize that the astute listener is going to say, Hey, wait a minute. You just said you couldn't eat it. And then earlier you said you can't not eat it that yes so there's that immediate this is a revulsion right now i can't stand this cookie in my mouth i have to spit it out but my brain says what did you do Mm -hmm. that was sugar what did you do so that part for me still sort of hangs back there but it no longer it no longer controls me Mm -hmm. i have control over it but it's still it does the voice the voice and hearing voices in my head yeah that's probably not the voice that's Mm -hmm. not the message i want to give (laughs) We all um, have it. There's some of that stuff doesn't go away. You know, as a baker, I love making bread. And then, of course, since we put the effort into making it, I want to see how how well did this loaf come out? How well mm-hmm. did the croissants come out? How how yummy are the biscuits? I'm 
That's a tough thing. So I found some, we focus mostly on gluten-free here because there's, it's not, it's not a celiac thing, but it's a different autoimmune problem. So gluten is out. So we do a lot of either gluten-free or flat out keto kinds of things as replacements. Mm-hmm. Um, the almond flour keto pancakes, uh, my one daughter doesn't care for them too much, but I think they're fantastic. I think they're amazing. I, I really like those things. Um, so there's, there's ways to do that, but part of part of that old baker, oh man, I I miss some of that gluten-y bread because it's mm-hmm. from a craft standpoint, gluten-free bread just isn't the same. You can't be and you can really beat up a gluten-y bread. You can really just take out your frustrations of the day and the bread's gonna say, you know what? I will reward you with Splendid magnificence for all that effort. <laughs> and that's what you get. You do the gluten-free bread and mm-hmm. it's not going to change, but you, it's just not the same. So there's yeah. – the, the skeptics will say, well, I'm not going to – see, I told you I can't give it up. Well, what the, the benefit – for doing that is is immense and mm-hmm. and it's it's I'm not to make the hard not trying to make the hard sell but there is there is a benefit to doing that change it's not a sacrifice it's a change it's a difference it's mm-hmm. a different get a different way to get to work it might take a little bit longer but the scenery is better and you know for people who I think there are there are multiple ways to approach a low carb diet it doesn't have to be um, keto equals 20 grams or fewer of carbohydrates per day in order for me to be quote unquote doing this right. You know, it doesn't have to be following the rules. I really encourage my clients to set up their own food boundaries, which is based on your own preferences, your own personality, your own history, your own physiology, instead of submitting your own uh, intuition and your own will to some external diet authority of, you know, and it becomes the police of like, well, that's not keto or you're not doing that right, right or whatever it might be. Um, and if there's an item that is a deal breaker for you and you're literally like, okay, well, I can't do anything because I'm not, this is my deal breaker. Just freaking do it and keep, <laughs> keep that item, you know, like, and there are conscious ways to consume it. So like, if you have a love affair with bread, because you're a baker, And, you know, you want to consciously consume bread once in a while. And it's, you wouldn't believe how many times people say to me, can I eat blank on keto? And I'm like, we're missing the whole point, right? Like, (laughs) I am not getting, I I don't want you to um, try to fit yourself into this external authority. I want you to find out your own internal authority for what you like and what likes you back, right? And if there's Mm -hmm. an item that you really like, and it doesn't like you back, well, we can mitigate some of the harm, some of the harmful effects. So if it really is that gluten destroys you, sure, there's gluten-free bread or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm making the case for food boundaries being things that increase the safety in your life and increase the pleasure in your life. So that's the point of setting any boundary in your life is to increase the safety and the pleasure in your life. I want you to have more enjoyment of your life. Eating food that makes you feel like shit every day is not increasing either of those things, actually. It might be like a moment of temporary pleasure, but not worth it in the long run. But all that to say, there are ways to consciously consume foods. Like, for example, a lot of people don't realize this, but it does have to do with macronutrients being consumed 
in a certain order, but if you eat protein first and a croissant second, the blood sugar response from the croissant is way less than if you eat the croissant first and the, the eggs second. And a lot of people don't really realize this, um, but a lot of cultures, you know, we look at a lot of cultures, for example, France, and we're like, how do they not get fat? And they eat croissants all the time, you know? <laughs> but there, a lot of times there are little traditions and rituals that are found inside of culture that actually holds a lot of ancient wisdom to it. And another one is walking after a meal. Uh, even a 10 minute walk after a meal reduces your blood sugar by 17%. And often they're taking, you know, a, a walk like an hour, uh, you know, at, a, an hour long walk with the family, socializing, things like that after a large meal. And so a lot of times those are the quote unquote secrets um, that maybe does, maybe they don't do it because they understand the science of it and yet it just works and we can learn from those things and, and consciously incorporate some of those things um, into the way that we eat. You, you made a good point. I want to just rephrase it that some, for the gluten intolerant, for whatever the particular reason is, the question is, why would you want to eat a food that doesn't like you? <laughs> it's just like, yeah. If, if, yeah, that doesn't, that's, that's, that's true. And I, that makes sense. So um, the, the, Store store cookies. Yeah. Now, some of the ones that I made, some of the I did make uh, a couple of gluten free one taquito version of peanut butter bar, which everybody loves because it's just mm -hmm. like peanut butter and chocolate. What's not to like about that? Mm -hmm. um, I did uh, a gluten free. Uh, I, my grandfather. I'm told I never saw this happen. My grandfather used to eat molasses sandwiches. Now, wow. they grew up in the Depression, and they yeah. may have been because that's what there was that day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the same grandfather was a streetcar conductor in, in, Detroit, in Detroit. Mm -hmm. um, and again, didn't see it. It's the family story. He, he ate Limburger cheese and onion sandwiches and never had any trouble getting people to the back of the car. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a fantastic story. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think I'm going to refocus on not just food and that and, and, and avoiding keto police. I think that that's really important because, because everybody who's been on a diet and understands the idea of the diet police, you can't, you can't, you can't. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there's no keto jail. Um, right. The food that doesn't make you feel good. Well, that's a food to avoid because why do you want to be made to not feel good? Um, mm. But other than that, I think, you know, um, a, f a friend of the show is a guy named Jimmy Clegg. He's in Texas. He has a keto bakery and a keto restaurant. And um, he sort of was the first person I talked to about getting into this. And in the last couple of years, um, Jimmy's gone, it's, he tells the story, he's gone from about 500 pounds down to, I think he's under 300 now. Wow, that's amazing. He, he, yeah. he looks, he's literally half the man he used to be. He looks 10 mm -hmm. years younger. Yeah. He's unbelievable. It's like, oh my God, what's in the water over there? It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. I'm, I'm thrilled for his progress, but he doesn't stop. He keeps researching and researching and reading more and more and more. So one of the points is learning about what 
good carbs are, what bad carbs are, and what carbs do when you eat them. That's really important to understand. There's, there's effort required. Something's going on. There's effort required mm -hmm. to learn about how human digestion works, mm -hmm. what happens when you eat caramelized cauliflower, caramelized from the natural sugars in cauliflower versus a donut. <clears throat> caramelized cauliflower is absolutely amazing, by the way. The umami is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So there's, and I, I recognize that, we'll say people. I don't, I'm going to risk, I'm sort of restricted to Americans because I don't know any, I don't know other cultures. But I think people are generally kind of lazy and want to do the easy way out. They want to do, mm -hmm. I want to lose 10 pounds in two weeks because I don't want, <laughs> losing 10 pounds in two weeks, however I do it, is is less aversive than what's going to happen if I don't do that in two weeks for the four and a half hours that Granny's going to be here harassing me, why aren't you married yet? Why are you so mad? Mm -hmm. I get it. Everyone gets it. They know that. But there's, I guess everyone has to find that line. Where where does that line live that I'm willing to go through the effort of reading a book, then reading another book, and changing, getting rid of stuff in the house, and buying different stuff in the house so that that temptation isn't there? I, there's no answer for that, but I think that that's, I think that's the yarn wrap. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I would uh, maybe choose different language than, than uh, people, people are lazy um, because, you know, our beliefs um, create our experience. And if we believe that we're lazy, then we're going to feel like we're lazy. But another way to say it is that, um, you know, humans are very efficient and very intelligent. And yes, if there is a faster way to get there, then you better believe that we are going to be more interested in <laughs> taking the faster route because we're made to be efficient. We're very intelligent and our brains will always um, avoid pain and approach pleasure. Um, and that this is wise that, that we do this, right? Um, and we're designed this way. And I think that we look at that as a character defect a lot of times in modern society, like, oh, how, you know, low intelligence of us to just be so obsessed with approaching pleasure and avoiding pain. But I would say actually that is highly intelligent um, and it's helped us to survive <laughs> for however long you believe humans have survived. Um, but if you look at it as an intelligence inside of you, as opposed to being lazy, then you can value this part of yourself instead of being at war with this part of yourself or being judgmental or critical towards that part of yourself. So there is That's an ongoing- yeah. There's, there's there's an inertia that's that <laughs> it's easy to remain where you are. It takes less yeah. effort. Um, yes, absolutely. And we do um, we do prioritize the familiar over the unfamiliar. And again, rightfully oh, yeah. so. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not value. And our our brains will bend towards no. It's more valuable to stay in the familiar, right? Um, and our brains will bend toward prioritizing current us over future us. Even though we're well aware that future us exists, we um, we approach, you know, instant gratification instead of delayed gratification. Um, we you've, want you've... A, a, the quick hit as opposed to, you know, it, it's like saying if somebody says, you know, would you rather have $10 today or $100 a year from now? <laughs> you know, and I guess it depends on, you know, your situation. But, you know, if they do this with kids too. You want this marshmallow now? 
Or do you want two marshmallows in five minutes? You know, and, and most of the kids will choose, I want the marshmallow now, you know, like they've literally done those, those types of um, studies, but you know, some things never change. And we all know that challenge or that balance, um, that art of trying to figure out when do I prioritize current me and when do I prioritize future me? And we kind of create this, this, um, this cognitive error that those two things are at war with each other that I either get to have pleasure now or I get to have pleasure later. And the mindset shift that I try to help my clients approach is that if we change our view of pleasure and um, change our views on our own internal standards for ourselves, it actually is very possible to have both current pleasure and long-term pleasure. And I, I, I want my clients to enjoy even the aspect of losing weight. Because if it's not enjoyable, we will not continue to do it. And there will, we will never get to the point where we are experiencing the future that we desire and that we're imagining for ourselves. You, you hit on a topic that in Austrian economics, they call time preference. High time preference, mm -hmm. I want it now. Low time preference, I will defer by saving this cash for mm -hmm. a year, five years, 10 years. And, and I'm... It's come up a couple of other times in different situations about food. And so I've got to, there, there's some, I'm going to steal from disciplines, geometric, I'm going to steal from geometry. There's a corollary in food to high time preference and low time preference. And those two things can exist at the same time with thinking about future me a year from now, having less fat, lost lost body mass. I, I hate the phrase losing weight, although I know the scale is instantly reinforcing. It doesn't tell the whole story, but that's another show. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there was something else about enjoyment, but I, I can't remember what it was. Um, all right. Let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his Tasting Anarchy podcast. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. I'm going to move into a slightly different part of the show. This is called the, the it's been termed by other guests as the quick fire part. Um, okay. And if you ever, it's modeled after the, uh, well, James, I think James Lipton died, which is kind of sad. The uh, inside the Ashes studio, but um, <laughs> these aren't happening questions. So of the five flavors, bitter, salty, sour, sweet, or umami, which one's your favorite? Hmm. I'm going to go with sweet. What's your favorite food? Probably Greek yogurt with some flax meal and some fruit. It's all mixed together, like a parfait. Yep. What's your least favorite food? God, I really don't have a food that I don't like. Um, oh, maybe liver. I, I, I don't really, yeah, I avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> What sound do you love? The sound of my daughter laughing. 
What sound do you hate? Nails grating against a chalkboard. <laughs> what gets you excited? My life. I like my life. The potential that I can create the life that I desire. What turns you off? Hmm. Demonizing other people. If you could cook for anyone ever, who would that be? I would cook for my dad, who's passed. Uh, what's your favorite food indulgence? Indulgence? Um, I'm just going to go with dark chocolate that actually has sugar in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good answer. I, I was dark expecting ice cream. Oh, I do love ice cream too, actually. Yeah. Chocolate ice cream. <laughs> there you go. How can people follow you? So I am on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at the Keto Fit, all one word. I also just got on uh, TikTok, but over there I am Self Care Keto. And I have a podcast as well called Self Care Keto. And then um, my website is theketofit.com. Very good. You have a few minutes to stick around for a portion that I save for the Patreon folks. Oh, of course. I would it's, love called, to. it's called the Chef's Table. Yeah. So we'll, we'll say pretend goodbyes here. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll add Jess's Facebook link page and Jess's Facebook page link and her website link to today's show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 222. Jess's chef's table portion is up on the Patreon. Surf over to the support page and find the Patreon icon at culinarylibertarian.com slash support. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you listening. Thanks also to my Patreon supporters. They're very patient with me and how pokey I can be. I do really appreciate their, their tolerance. All the chef table portions are up for members. Become a patron and listen in. Have a good week and a safe New Year's celebration. Come back with all limbs and digits attached. Be safe. I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.